Thank you, Stephen, and thank you, everyone. Welcome to, again, our penultimate live stream only service, and that's very exciting for us. I resonate with Tina's fist pump in that, and, yeah, looking forward to seeing one another face-to-face in either of those services coming up on November 28th. But as we continue in our series on First Thessalonians, uh, if you've got your Bibles, do keep them open and uh, we will have a closer look at that uh, in a moment's time. But before, uh, before I begin, why don't I also pray for us and our time together now. Will you bow with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to explore your word and continue to learn from this letter to the Thessalonians. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity uh, to read in our own language, to understand uh, what you have to say to us uh, now through your Holy Spirit and through your Holy Word. Lord, help me as I begin to to teach this morning and may the truth of your your Word be sifted through the hearts and minds uh, of those listening. Lord, be with us this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, any good piece of art, any good piece of music, any good book or any good movie or TV show is one that draws us in, isn't it? Uh, It draws us in. Life is too short for terrible books, terrible art, terrible music, of course. And I'm sure you're familiar with reading a book or watching a movie or or TV show, getting a little way into it and then deciding, well, it is not working for you. It's time to put it aside. It's not compelling enough. It's not drawing you in uh, well enough. You're sort of fed up with it. It'll be a waste of time to continue. So let's just put it down. Let's stop, stop the movie. Well, this morning as we work through our way uh, through this letter of First Thessalonians, uh, which I hope you don't find a waste of time and, and haven't already uh, turned off, uh, but I, I, here we find ourselves reading further instructions uh, that Paul is giving uh, his friend, or Paul and his friends are giving this little church on how they are to go about pleasing God. We explored last week how that was related to sexual holiness and this week we turn to matters relating to love and to life. That is, first, the love that believers have between one another and second, Uh, how we might live diligently uh, in this life that we have. And in both of these matters, the result is a compelling witness to the world that draws people in. It is a compelling love, a compelling life that draws people towards the gospel rather than turns people away or or makes people turn off or think it is a waste of time. And so first we turn to those, or that that point of loving one another, which we read in verses 9 and 10 uh, of our passage this morning. And I think one of the best places on earth uh, where you can observe a great expression of love is at the airport. I know, it's probably not what you expected. Uh, But think back to times gone by, you know, a couple of years ago before this whole global pandemic thing and, uh, and, and, you know, a time when you could travel and think back to any, really any international arrivals gate at any airport in the world. 
And here we find people who are waiting for those that they have not seen in a while. And there is excitement and there are people uh, with smiles on their faces, some with signs uh, saying, welcome back, Uh, others who have flowers. There may even be uh, some happy tears as loved ones, those expected loved ones are welcomed back from abroad. And typically there are a few hundred people at any sort of international arrivals hall, maybe more at any one time, and as each person makes their way through the doors, the excitement continues to bubble away and relatives and friends, when they see someone that they know, make some noise, they give a big wave and a big smile and then they jump up and down for a little while and run to the end of the walkway to meet and greet those they have not seen in a long time and those that they are there to greet. And and there we find families meeting up for the first time in years or we find young couples coming together after a time apart or we simply see friends who have not seen each other in a long time. And it is just a great place to observe an expression or to observe love. And like the International Arrivals Gate, although perhaps expressed a little differently, uh, the love between believers can be seen, it can be observed, it can also at times be just as palpable. And here in chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, Paul writes about brotherly love. You don't need me to write you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. In fact, you are doing this toward all the brothers and sisters in the entire region of Macedonia. But we encourage you, brothers and sisters, to do this even more. And to summarise Paul here, he's basically saying he doesn't need to bang on about this matter of loving one another because the Thessalonians are already doing a great job. Remember, Timothy has come back with a very encouraging report of what the church have been doing. And evidently, through the Lord, through the Spirit, uh, that as that has, they have been at work, the Spirit has been at work, the Thessalonians have been growing and showing love for one another and for those around them. And Paul recognises that it, it, it was not on the apostles and him and his friends to teach them about this, but the Lord has been teaching them about this. He recognises this when he uses this phrase, taught by God. The word he uses in the original language for this phrase is only used once in the entire New Testament, right here in this verse. And it's almost like Paul made up the word, in its original form, uh, made up the word to express his thoughts, that they have been God-taught to love one another. And further, this whole matter of uh, brotherly love is not actually gender-specific, as maybe our translations give us the impression that it is, but it's better understood to mean family love, like, like the love of family. And as we are aware, uh, God's people are considered to be in the family of God throughout the New Testament. When we place our faith in Christ, uh, we are included and are adopted into God's family. And so naturally, Paul uses this idea to reinforce uh, that 
the, reinforced the idea that the believers are family and that they ought to love one another. And the scriptures, particularly in the New Testament, is full of encouragement and commands for believers to love one another. I'm sure you've heard about that before. Uh, so much so, though, that it's almost overwhelming. And Jesus himself gives his disciples uh, this commandment to love one another in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 34 to 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Who better than Jesus our Lord to follow in this matter but he also speaks about loving one another in Matthew 22:37 to 39 when speaking about the greatest commandment. Paul writes as much in Romans 13, chapter, uh, chapter 13, verses 8 to 10 and Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 3. And the writer of the Hebrews does the same in chapter 10, 23 to 24. Peter in his first letter, chapter 4, verse 8. And perhaps the longest treatment found on this idea of loving one another is in 1 John chapter 4 verses 7 to 13 and that gives a gospel foundation to this whole idea of loving one another. We read in 1 John this, dear friends let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed to us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know and remain in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And this call to love one another is founded on the gospel, on what God has done through Jesus Christ. God has shown his love for us through the work of Christ And on that cross, and in doing so, it has enabled us to love him and to love others. In his book, The Compelling Community, Mark Dever writes this, to follow Christ is to love other Christians. Love between believers isn't a sign of maturity. It is a sign of saving faith. And he goes on to say, a, a few pages later, he says, our greatest confirmation of the gospel is the community of the local church. Therefore, our best strategy for reaching the world is to to fan that community into a raging inferno of supernatural witness that will be far more attractive than any adjustment to our music, small groups or sermons could ever be. And this is what Paul is commending the Thessalonians for. Their love for one another and for other Christians for other believers in the region, is a compelling example to churches and to others around them there in the city that they live. 
and he hopes that that continues. In fact, he prays that that continues. Back in chapter 3, verse 12, he, he prayed, and may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone, just as we do for you. So loving one another is not something Paul needs to bang on about. I don't think it's something I need to bang on about. But it's here in our text this morning and a good reminder, uh, particularly at this this moment, this season uh, of life that we're going through, to continue to love one another as, as easy or as hard as that might be. Second, in verses 11 and 12, we come uh, to a point where, where, where Paul seeks to speak about living diligently. And he continues this train of thought and loving one another by speaking into this area of life of living diligently. And so he, he writes this, But we encourage you, brothers and sisters, to do this even more, to seek to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, so that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. And it seems that some that he is writing to uh, have either one given up on working for themselves because the time of the Lord is near or is at hand and they wonder, well, what is the point of work if the Lord is going to return so soon? And so that means that they are scrunching off others, uh, off other believers in order to eat and support their need, the needs that they have, have their needs met. And so they are putting pressure on this church community by doing that. But another reason also that Paul speaks into this matter is that, second really, is because of this economic and social uh, institution of patronage, uh, which, is a, which was around at the time. And so that is certain people were, I suppose, attaching themselves to those in the higher classes who would then support them economically and socially and so forth. Uh, in doing so, those who had more supporters uh, would be then seen in high esteem or higher esteem and, and greatly honoured uh, within the city that they were in. It would be known within the power structure of the city and they would become significant benefactors uh, to others uh, below them. And so for the believers, this would mean that they would be running around um, trying to, to seek advantage and, and support from these so-called benefactors, uh, from those who are wealth, more wealthy than themselves. It meant that they weren't working or looking for work, but rather they were, they were after this, this benefactor-type arrangement. And you can, so then you can sort of see, with those two ideas in place, you can, you can see why Paul now is talking to them about leading a quiet life, by, by living a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands. Now, apparently some people uh, during, this season, during these seasons of lockdown uh, have had a quiet time through it all. Now, that certainly hasn't been my experience, or the experience of most people I know, but uh, often... The quiet life eludes most people, doesn't it? It is, it is hard to get to a quiet life. We don't know what that really, really means or, 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 or hard to contemplate. Uh, but even coming out of lockdown, you know, I've, I've heard the comments, you know, oh, our, our weeks are so busy now because so many people want to see us uh, that we just want a quiet weekend. 
how, what a fickle bunch we are, really, uh, in, in that. But in any case, Paul here uh, uses an oxymoron in verse 10 by saying, or, or saying to the Thessalonians to lead this quiet life. He's, in essence, he's saying, have the ambition not to have ambition. Paul's encouraging the believers to lead quiet lives, which goes hand in hand with minding your own business. In the patronage system, the believers that are linked with a, a benefactor would, be, would have all these other duties and responsibilities because of it. And so that they would need to adhere to these, they would be running around involved in other people's business, doing other people's jobs for them. And so people, or Paul, could see that this was a distraction to the believers and, and wants to rein them in because of it. And perhaps this can remind us that we aren't to inject ourselves into the business that is not our own. In an effort to show support and care, uh, which is all valid, we can, we can sometimes, though, become more involved in other people's business than we ought. Uh, this is not to say that we don't help in crisis situations, that we don't care for people, that we don't support. This is not saying that at all. Rather, it is a warning about being a busybody, being a gossip, being someone that clings on, that almost becomes dependent on helping others. Instead, we are to get on with the, also the responsibilities in our own life. And one of those responsibilities is work. For Paul, he rather shockingly suggests to the Thessalonians uh, that, that they should work with their hands, that they should become tradies, essentially. That, that is, that they should do manual labour type work. Uh, for which, this, in this day and age, not, not currently, in the, back in the first century, in that day and age, well, that was seen as work of the slaves and work of the lower classes. And so it is, it is shocking to those who are hearing this uh, for, for Paul to be encouraging them to do this manual labour. The, the Greeks would look down on those who were, who were of trade and so it, would, it is a surprising suggestion to hear. However, Paul previously said in his letter, in this letter himself, in, back in chapter 2 verse 9, that he was busy working while going about his ministry, so not to be a burden to the believers there at this church. And he was, he was, the way he would go about doing his work was, was a, the job of tent maker. And so he would do a trade himself. And, and in reality, it was probably a bit of an oddity uh, for the people around him. And, and of course we can't forget that Jesus himself was a carpenter so the most holy of trades is obviously carpentry. But, but it seems that the point here that Paul is making is that to work with their hands uh, is really the encouragement to stop being lazy, to stop being idle but to be diligent in our work, in our projects, in our responsibilities that we have in our life. And really that is what Paul is seeking to press home here to these believers. They, they aren't to be lazy. They aren't to be idle. And that's, that's, that's the point also for us this morning, that we aren't to be lazy. Paul is talking about being diligent in our work and our life, in the, the, the responsibilities that we have. The responsibilities that we have are either in work, like paid, could be paid work, 
could be at home, could be as a student, could be as a, a volunteer work, could be what we call in our house general life administration that just sort of builds and builds uh, as we walk through the things that we do as part of our home life. And it's not to say, I don't think this is the, Paul is not, the issue is not uh, pushing those who, who can't work or uh, not having compassion and support for those who are unable to work at this time and are in need of benefits and supports. That's not what Paul's speaking against, but rather he is telling these believers for them not to neglect their life responsibilities and their work responsibilities uh, that they have. He's basically saying, get off your butt and go and work and do, take some responsibility for yourself. He's saying to us, turn off the computer game, switch off the game console, turn off Netflix, turn off the daytime TV and get on with working diligently. And he sees this as a significant issue for the Thessalonians, for this church. So much so that in his second letter, 2 Thessalonians, chapter 3, 6 to 13, he he goes at this issue again and he writes about it again and even in stronger terms. He writes this, Now we command you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to keep away from every brother or sister who is idle and does not live according to the tradition received from us. For you yourselves know how you should imitate us. We were not idle among you. We did not eat anyone's food free of charge. Instead, we laboured and toiled, worked night and day, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. See the similarity there to chapter 2, verse 9 in First Thessalonians. It is not that we don't have the right to support, but we did it to, we did it to make ourselves an example to you so that you would imitate us. In fact, when we were with you, that this is what we commanded you. If anyone isn't willing to work, he should not eat. For we hear that there are some among you who are idle. They are not busy, but busy bodies. Now we command and exhort such people by the Lord Jesus Christ to work quietly and provide for themselves. But as for you, brothers and sisters, do not grow weary in doing good. Is this idleness. This laziness, uh, that is poor form for the believers for, from Paul. And the, the, the command is to be diligent, to again imitate the way of Paul and his friends and how they conducted themselves while they were in the city of Thessalonica. Not to put undue pressure on others uh, and for support and for help, but he's telling them to get off their butt and go and take responsibility for themselves. I, I, I hope you can see that uh, from the text this morning. And this week as I pulled up to someone's house uh, just to, to pop in for a visit, they were just finishing off their garden maintenance and the leaf blower was out, uh, blowing away that excess debris on their driveway and they had begun their garden work at 9am and it was now 2pm in the afternoon and they'd been hard at work getting their garden looking very schmick. They had trimmed their hedges, they had um, whippersnippered the edges, they'd cut the grass, done the lawn mowing and cut the grass back, they'd, they'd chopped back many of the shrubs and it was looking very good. 
I will uh, will definitely agree with that. But they had been been diligent in the task that they had before them for the day at hand. And uh, and obviously I was greatly impressed by this garden that I saw and the work that they had done. I also felt a little guilty considering the state of my own garden, but perhaps we won't go there. Um, But the work had paid off. It had looked great and uh, I was impressed by it. Absolutely. And as we conclude today, this is... This is also the point that Paul ends up leading us to or getting us to, that through our love for one another and through the diligence we undertake in our own lives, we become a compelling church and compelling individuals. Through our love for one another and through the diligence in our own life, uh, we become a compelling church and compelling individuals. Through our conduct in these matters, we put the gospel on display. It is evident to an unbelieving world that we aren't just nice people, we're not just religious people, we're not just ethical people. But behind our love and behind our life sits a saviour who impacts everything we do, from the way we love and to the way we do life. And we should know that we are being Uh, a constant witness to Jesus through our love and through our life. And the way we conduct ourselves is a reflection of the gospel, of the faith that we hold to. Uh, Where there is no no love for one another, there is a poor witness to Christ. Where there is, is laziness and idleness and poor work ethic in our workplaces, there is a poor witness for Christ. But, But when our love And when our life glorify God, we find there a compelling witness, a compelling witness to the world, a witness to the world that draws people, draws people to the gospel and that we pray does not make them turn off from Jesus or from our faith. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for its clarity and its directness. Uh, Lord, we thank you for uh, this study in 1 Thessalonians and the way in which you you call us to, in different parts of our lives to, to come and to, to please you with them. And Lord, over the last couple of weeks, as we've explored these themes of sexual holiness, of love and of life, I pray that um, it may encourage us to do so more and more uh, in these matters and in other matters that we are convicted by uh, from you. Lord, help us to love one another. Help us to, to love those who are hard to love and help us to, to love those uh, who are here in our church, who are believers in our city and our state and our country and across the world. Lord, help us to encourage and love one another well. And Lord, help us to, to live diligently. Help us to hear what Paul has to say to us about, um, about living diligently and, and, and going about our responsibilities in life. May we do that in order to glorify you and that that may be a compelling witness uh, to the world around us. 
So Lord, we lift up our time, we lift up uh, our work, we lift up our responsibilities and things that we have before us this week and ask that you may bless them and ask that you may help us glorify you within them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.